And welcome back to the local podcast And thank you all again for tuning in for another fire episode Before we jump into this, I just want to address two things real quick guys One, my voice is a little raspy in this episode Um, I recorded this today after my birthday So, I mean, honestly, I don't think there's too much explanation that's needed for that But number two, I wanted to speak on the highs and the lows and how the highs are celebrated publicly but today i'm celebrating the lows man so i've been dealing with a sickness basically from the beginning of may that has kind of kept me down out and it has been a very humbling experience throughout this sickness and throughout that journey um i cried i was frustrated i was disappointed i was even embarrassed as i tried to do an interview one time and during the interview, the sickness overcame me. And to make things worse, this was my first time meeting the guy. So that was definitely very embarrassing. But I didn't really understand at the time what, what was going on, man. I thought I was doing the positive things. I thought I was putting positive energy out into the world. But I really learned the lesson within the sickness. And it's that I was moving at my speed instead of God's speed. And sometimes we get caught up in doing what we're doing and we're thinking we're doing everything right but what i realized is that just like being a parent your relationship with god is something that you got to work on and improve every day that's something you can't ignore and being just locked in the house having to focus on that having to think about that it made me really realize that but i just wanted to say that because social media really puts on the lens that Everything is wins, all wins, no L's, nobody ever take L's, when in reality we take L's every day, it's part of the process, and you gotta, you gotta enjoy the process, you gotta embrace the process, and you gotta understand that it's gonna come with it, but I just wanted to get that out real quick before we start the episode, so you know, celebrate my L's that I took during this journey, during this sickness, and how I feel like I'm really gonna prosper outside of it, and I really learned a humbling lesson within it. But I'm not going to waste any more time, man. We got a fire episode here, and I hope you enjoy it with Master Chef Gabe Lewis. Peace. And welcome back to the local podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Dion Harrison, a.k.a. Ghost. If you didn't know, now you know. And guys, I told you I'm coming back with a banger. I've been waiting for this guy. We talking about Oklahoma's very own Master Chef Gabriel Lewis, top seven. What season? Season eight, bro. Season, season eight. eight. So season eight. I'm not lying to you guys. Oklahoma's very own Master Chef Gabriel Lewis is now in the building. Thank you, bro, for joining me. Oh yeah, wouldn't miss it, bro. Wouldn't miss it. So, bro, I'm gonna hop right into it, bro. Like I do everybody. I always start with the high school you. But before we get into that, we've been knowing each other since middle school. So we really got close during, like, at the end of our eighth grade year. And we really didn't know. Like, it's funny now I think about it. We never questioned, like, what high school are you going to? We just kind of just enjoyed our time <laughs> to the end, like, which is very funny. But the whole four-year period is like a blink for me. I don't know what happened. I don't know what type of person you became. So I'm really interested to hear about Gabriel Lewis in high school. And kind of tell me about the man you were then. Man, look, 
uh, high school gay was like middle school gay and more insecure. <laughs> you said more insecure? More insecure. Ooh. So it was going in, didn't know what I was doing, unfamiliar settings. I only have maybe one person I knew. Um, I went to school with my sister. That was about it. So I'm walking in. I'm like, oh, you know, I got, I can wear whatever I want now. And then I'm looking at what everybody else is wearing. I'm like, I probably should have wore something different. Like first day of high school, no joke. I got sick and went home. Like, like because of nervousness, was it? I think it, I I was trying to claim it wasn't, but hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. So like I got all I had nerves coming up, and then they had trash cans in the hallway, and like I ended up throwing up in a trash can and was like, I need to go home. And uh, my mom's ended up coming to get me, and she goes, "Really, really, you that nervous?" <laughs> I'm like. I'm I'm not nervous. I just don't now, feel well. I mean, we went from Little Bell Isle, and then you went to what a six A. Hmm? You went to a six A school. Yeah, but, and dude, it was. I gotta say that, bro. You just went from you like three X the amount of people that you usually see. Yeah, like we talking graduating classes in the two thousands, twenty five hundreds. Like it's it's a lot of people, you know. And it was just you're in this pool of people that have been going to school together damn near since grade school. So it's just this weird like dichotomy of being around people that are familiar with each other and then being the person that's unfamiliar to everyone else. So it's just, man. So you come in, you're nervous as hell. So tell us just about your own progression throughout the years. It's like your senior, junior year, high school, or did did it improve? Oh, yeah. Or oh, yeah. So like freshman year, it was real like trying to figure stuff out, trying to get my, my – self together trying to figure out who I am trying to see what my style is like finding a new crush to you know fuck me mess with for like three four years and uh trying to just figure everything out and get comfortable like I had one dude that came up to me on my first day was like man I know you didn't go to middle school with us we're gonna be friends now and that was my boy it's my friend Clayton like dude was just legit as hell so I moved into sophomore year that's when I grew up so I went from being a short five six to like six even and so I'm just stretched out. I come back. Everybody's like, who are you? I'm like, Gabe. And they're like, but you don't have gel in your hair. Or you're not rocking tennis <laughs> shoes and dress shirts together. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the point. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, man, dog. If you think that's bad, you should have seen the gel hair, man. I, I was using a combination of gel and activator. That was crispy. Like That boy had that stiff perm, like that man. stiff, that stand-up. I was I was trying to get a – I don't know if you remember Franco's Fohawk where it had like the – yeah. Yes. So like, I was trying to get that, but my hair is naturally curly, so yeah. I just like I'm just gonna swoop it forward, and you just see all these curvy like snake waves and my stuff. But man, yeah, I, I was crunching. I was crunching. So you crunching, then you you grow up a little bit more your sophomore year, and then I've been not- I noticed that when I looked on your Instagram page, you were already posting things like food plates in middle school, going into that. So. I know you're saying you didn't really know what you wanted to do with yourself, but that's something that's really been consistent the, throughout the whole time. So even while you were doing that, um, did you ever feel like this is what I want to do? Because you said I'm, I'm, I'm just a little confused. You said, like, I'm not really for sure, but at the same time you were doing something that you do today. Oh, yeah. So the, the cooking was always something I'd love to do, and I said that I'd wanted to do but I didn't follow through with it wholeheartedly. So like middle school, I'm just trying to make chicken that don't need water when you chew it. And then I move into high school and it was the only thing that kept my attention. I'm like, dude, I, I, I don't care about anything else. I don't want to do anything in medicine. I don't want to do anything 
you know, that a lot of people are thinking about doing or, or going into a trade that's government funded or anything like that. I want to do something that's just a creative's job in an industry that's not going to die. And in my mind, I'm like, well, that's food. I'm going to just keep messing with food. And, yeah, I just started posting stuff on Insta. It wasn't the best. I think I had uh, the worst one I did that I can remember was like a, a salt and pepper crusted baked potato with like these chicken enchilada or chicken uh, tacos. But I put the tacos on like burrito sized tortillas. So they're just huge. Oh, my gosh. Man, it was. I said, "Yeah, this boy can cook." That boy portioning was on point, y'all. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was stacking them up. I'm like, look, if I'm gonna eat good, I'm gonna eat good. So, you're getting closer. Let's say your senior year now, um, because you were on Master Chef. What two years after we graduated? Yeah, shoot. Uh, technically, not even that. Like, we filmed a year after I graduated. So, like, I graduate. What was it, May 2015? 2015, yes, sir. Ju- was August 2016. I'm in California filming. So, how do you go from this insecure young man to like you know you go through your development stages? Obviously, like everybody in high school, we start finding ourselves. But how do you go from graduating to now? I'm on the Master Chef. How did you? What What did you do to even get that opportunity? So. I went to Francis Tuttle for vocation school junior and senior year. So that was my development kind of trial and error, understanding fundamentals, like just getting a lot of the brush out the way and clearing it out so I can start being creative with a basic understanding of, okay, I know how to cut an onion and I know how to cook a piece of chicken. After that, I just ended up getting a job at Chipotle. I worked at Panera my whole uh, junior, senior, and then like part of the year after high school. And I needed something that was a little bit more challenging. So I moved to Chipotle because they actually have a grill where you have to cook stuff that's from scratch and understand that and how to run that actual small kitchen. So I moved into that, loved it, loved the fast pace, and it just kept moving and kept moving. And then my sister goes, hey, this might not be legit. It's on Craigslist, so, you know, 50-50 shot. But it says it's a Master Chef open call. And so I go and check it out on the website, and it's legit. So I sign up. It's on my brother's birthday. I go in there, made a pork belly, didn't know if it was going to be good. And the judges were like now cutting the pork, it. The pork belly, is that something that you already had kind of, you felt, did you feel a personal confidence in that? Why, why specifically a pork belly? It was the most difficult thing I could think of to get right, but I love to make it. And I made it, I made it two or three times up to that point. And I knew it tastes really good if it's pulled off right. Otherwise, it's really fatty or, or blubbery and it's unappetizing. So I said, okay, this is probably the best thing I can make that's appetizing, that people are going to want, that can be impressive because you can get the skin crispy, the meat tender, and the fat rendered underneath the skin. It's like a half inch worth of fat, if not more. So if you can get all three of those components right, you got it. So you take the chance. They're about to eat it. What are your thoughts? I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh, man, they, uh, they got plastic utensils. I'm screwed. So uh, <laughs> I get nervous, and then they start cutting into it with a plastic fork and plastic knife, and it just cuts like butter, and I am stoked. I'm like, that's it. That's it. I'm like, yep, that's the one. You're yeah. like, got him. Dude tried to hide his smile. He smirked and walked off, and I'm like, I think I did all right. And then they called my number with, like, seven other people, and then we move, and we start talking to executive producers and stuff, and they test our food knowledge. And then they tell me to come back the next day for a video audition. It just kept rolling from there. Okay, okay. So we're number one. That's an incredible story. I know that like 
I know your heart was probably pounding out your damn chest whole time. <laughs> but so you get it, you go through the audition, go through the steps, all that great things. And if you guys don't know, there was also another young lady from Oklahoma or it was a young lady in a dude, right? Trey. Uh, yes. Yeah, so there was one guy that made it on my season um, and he did. He, he I, I honestly thought he was getting an apron like his name is Ty. He's Ty, like, a, yeah. yeah, he's a, he's a uh, model as well. And dude could actually really cook very well. Like, he's still a good friend of mine. And I was so surprised that we didn't both end up going. Like, because I'll, I'll just tell you this one really quick. So, we're flying out in uh, middle of August. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to see if anybody's on my same flight plan so I can figure out who all is coming from Oklahoma. He is legitimately the only other person that's coming from Oklahoma to go to Cali. And he was a standout because dude got long hair. He's got, like, the Pharrell hat, you know, the big bucket hat. And he had, like, this cow skin suitcase. And so I seen him. I had a connecting flight to Arizona. So I go to Arizona. We're at the same airport. And I go, I just tap him on the shoulder. I say, hey, bro, real quick, you going where I'm going? He said, you going to a place you can't talk about? I said, yeah. He said, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I said, that's crazy. Man, I just thought about it. So it was just only you and Todd. But um, so you guys get flown out. And then the first episode of that season – uh, was you guys basically going one-on-one against somebody. Can you just talk about that experience and, you know, walking? Because everybody's coming in from all over the world for this, basically. So I know you probably got to get to talk to people, but then at the same time, they instantly now become, respectfully, your enemies because you have a goal. Yeah, I mean, it, the the beautiful thing about it is when you're in a, a room full of creatives that have the same creative element, same technique, or same passion for you know, that creative skill, even if you're competing, you're learning and helping and, and loving on each other while you're there. Some people decided to be a little more spiteful and they had that competitive edge that didn't really carry them where they needed to go. But in my particular instance, I was just really nervous because I didn't know where I, I measured up against anybody. So I was like, I'm just going to do the best I can do. And if these other dudes and, and women school me, by all means, I know that I got more work to do. But I go in. I find out that I'm making tacos. I didn't know who I was making tacos for besides Gordon Ramsay. Um, and it turns out it's Christina Tosi, which is a um, business partner, one of the chefs I've always admired, and her. Uh, it's another dude named David Chang, incredible, incredible culinary artist. Um, and then another chef that I've been watching on Food Network since I was a kid. It goes by the name of Verone Sanchez, amazing chef from Chopped, um, different Food Network shows. And he has had the best taco in New Orleans for about four years running, or three or four years of running up to that point. So I am freaking out. I'm nervous. I go in there. I don't know anybody I'm competing next to. And I walk in. I walk down this aisle. And it, the lights are just kind of down. It's like little spotlights. And you're thinking, okay, well, it's not going to be that intense. And you're walking up like, damn, these, these people are getting taller and bigger and <laughs> a little bit more intimidating. Perspective is starting to change. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they, they set you up for it. So when I walk in, I get to my position. They tell me that we're making tacos. I never even made a scratch tortilla from that point. So I'm like, this is going to be a first for me. And he's like, I'm going to show you guys how to make the perfect tortilla. And I'm like, yes. Because <laughs> that's, that's, that's one of my best gifts in the culinary field is if I see how something's made, I can replicate it usually without any difficulty. So he shows me, he says, this is exactly what you need to do. I spend the first 10 minutes getting that out the way. And then I spend the other time on my flavors. You know, I did um, tilapia, you know, for my, my fish tacos. I did blackening seasoning to kind of pay, pay homage to 
my my family's Louisiana roots, my Creole roots. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna do a black and tilapia fish taco. And we're in California, so I'm like, I'm gonna do this fruit salsa to go with it. And you know, avocados too, so a little avocado crema and then red cabbage, because red cabbage just looks good. And ends up being the overall best taco in the whole bout. And Chef Ron said that his he's like, I'm not gonna put lime on these tacos. Because I watched how you seasoned. I watched how you garnished. I'm just going to eat what you presented. I'm not going to touch the garnishes. And he was like, the tortillas are perfect. It's balanced. It's meaty. And just was like, hey, this is one that is way above the rest. Pick your apron up. I say, and if, if you guys need, like, yo, you guys want to fact check, literally, he said that, like, on the show. It is filmed. He did say that this was the best taco he had. So, number one, very impressive. Um, so you get your apron, you're making it to the top 20. Now the show is really now getting started. Um, I know you got a lot of different personalities, man, a lot of different people that everybody's there to win. So at the beginning, what was your mindset? Like, because I feel like personally from watching the show, I saw you grow and I can tell that your mindset changed by the end of the show. So what was your mindset like kind of at the beginning when it was just, uh, it was 20 of you guys compared to like, when it got to that, t- like the top ten. All right. So when it when we were in top twenty, uh, once everybody finally got their apron, that's when they sent everybody's families home, and you know we're saying our goodbyes. I'm saying bye to my parents. Um, then we go into our green room, and we have about probably ten minutes to just you know be in each other's energy before the executive producers walk in and go, hey, guys, I need you to sit down and listen. And the judges walk in and congratulate us, say, hey, good job, guys. Uh, we were really impressed with what you did. Uh, but now things get real, so get ready. Uh, we had two people that were trying to build alliances before we even had the first challenge. Like, stuff start getting competitive almost immediately. You won't name drop them. I, I'm planning. You nah, don't have to I do won't. that. Let's, let's not do that. Let's not do <laughs> no, that. They, uh, but things get competitive yeah, immediately. Go ahead. They do. They do. Yeah. Now, I'll, now I would name drop them if it was worth it. But at the end of the day, it's like that. That's how they played the game. I just I don't do that. So um, I go. Um, and I'm just, like, sitting there in my own energy. And I go, all right, if I make it to top 19, I'm good. I just don't want to be the first one to go. Right, right. I'm one of the youngest. I only got one person younger than me. I don't want to be the first one to go. And sure enough, I make a dish that's impressive enough. Most of us did. There was only, like, three people that didn't off top. Uh, one of them happened to be the aforementioned individual trying to build uh, alliances. So, if you watch the show, you can probably much, you pretty much figure it out. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, but I just was determined to not be the first one to go home. And then after that, it was that was the milestone for me from that point on was, okay, let's make top 18. Let's make 17. And then I did really well on the challenges for 18 and 17, so my goal was 15. Okay, and, that's what I was, I was just about to say. I see that you're taking it. You had like a day-by-day approach. Did it ever – you never really looked too far ahead. But you started to challenge yourself, like, let's go. I think I've, f- excuse my language, but fuck top 16. I'm going to go. Now my mom said, I'm going to make the top 16. Now let's see if I can really make the top 15 before you even did it. So go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's like, a, it's like a wheel rolling down a hill. You gain momentum. So for me, I said, okay, I obviously have a bit of skill, and people are starting to recognize it. People are trying to either pick me for challenges or, you know, the judges um, – 
one of our earlier challenges was scrambling eggs. It was Gordon Ramsay's scrambled egg recipe that's gone viral on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. And I'd only made it once before. I made it in high school. And I said, all right, cool. I think I know how to make this. I'm going to watch the demo anyway, but I'm going to make it the best I can. And he tells me, he said, hey, these are textbook. And so it, they cut a lot of things for time, but we're sitting in the balcony. And he goes, just so you guys know, one of the youngest people among you is the one that made the best scrambled eggs. Great job, Gabe. He's one to watch. And so I freak out. That's why my confidence started building a little bit. I said, oh, okay, I got a little See, something. Yeah, it's almost wondering because it's like from a fan perspective, it's like because you won the challenge before too. But even before that, it's like what's what happened? We didn't see that. <laughs> that that never got to our view. So now that I know that backstory, now I get it. But so he tells you that, and then yeah. So he tells me that, and then um, come the next challenge, we had to do a rack of lamb. I never Frenched rack of lamb. I never trimmed a rack of lamb. Like I had never even cut fresh steaks at that point. Like I I didn't really do any meat butchery besides breaking down a chicken. That's the only thing I knew how to do. My mom taught me that, and I kept that and just kind of lived with it. So they were like, hey, you have to break down a rack of lamb. I'm like, I don't even know where to buy a rack of lamb. So I'm like, Oklahoma lamb? I don't know. And usually if it is, it's already trimmed up. So I've never seen it done. So same thing as the the tortillas. I watch Gordon Ramsay making and Frenching the rack of lamb. And I go, okay, I just have to do that. Bet. And so I pay attention, look at his dimensions, and I spend 25 minutes doing that and um, – that one was actually challenging because the longer that you work on a piece of, of meat like that with a fat cap, the more that fat melts and gets your hands slippery with a sharp knife, easy to cut yourself. So uh, I'm about three minutes from the end of that challenge, and my knife slips out my hand, falls directly into the ground, stabs the ground. So they had to have the culinary team bring me another knife. I'm rushing, 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 thinking I'm not going to get it. Well, they come to my station when they're done and they're judging, and he picks up my rack of lamb, looks at it, and goes, how do you think you did? I said, well, I think I did okay. I would have liked to have got a little more sinew off the bone, this, that, and the other. He said, uh, no, this is textbook. Go upstairs. Like, it's perfect. You couldn't get any better. It's It looks like it came out of a textbook. It's perfect. Good job. Go upstairs. And so I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I got the first half of the day down. I don't have to, you know, compete in an elimination challenge. I'm happy. I'm good. I'm golden. And from that point, that's when I really started feeling like, okay, I might be able to actually compete in this thing. So, were you hmm. – tell me about your first elimination challenge. I don't remember what you had to do. I totally forgot. So, first elimination challenge was um, pressure test, which was um, a recreation of a, a Ron Sanchez specialty grilled pork chop dish with, like, this uh, cactus pear picadillo – um, and this prickly pear sauce. I had never worked with cactus. I had never worked with prickly pear. Um, I obviously, I've grilled pork chops, obviously. We're from Oklahoma. We should know how to grill a little bit of something. Yes, something. Uh, you know, it's pork, it's pork country, so we got we to gotta do what we do. Um, but the crazy thing about it is on our beach challenge, I was cooking fish, right? So we're near the beach. It's already like 80 degrees. Then I'm over this grill that's about five to 600 degrees. And I'm under pressure, so I'm running and ripping and all this stuff. Once the challenge is actually over, I'm starting to get really, really hot. I'm starting to get dizzy, and then my head starts hurting. I'm like, uh, this ain't good. And so I go, and I kind of stumble over to a medical tent. And they're like, okay, we need to cool you down right now. Come to find out, I was like a, not that long from a heat stroke. I was very, very close to having a heat stroke. 
So the next day, my, my team loses. So we know we're going into an elimination test. And I am just dehydrated. I feel terrible. Like, it's hard for me to get up. My hands are shaking. And I get one of the uh, uh, wranglers or one of the people in production that come up to me and say, hey, Gabe, talk to the judges. Talk to everybody. They said if you want to you wanna drop out, you can. There's no hard feelings. You won't be contractually bound. Like, we understand. And I told him, I said, hey, man, to be real with you, I would rather pass out on my board or my burner than quit. I would die for this shit. Exactly. I'm like, I would rather you catch it on camera that I gave everything I had than wonder what if. So he said, hey, that's what I thought. Go on then. <laughs> you know, and he was he was one of my favorite people, dude named JP. Um, but we had to go taste this. And at that point, I didn't eat meat. I was pescatarian. So I didn't want to taste it, but like, I got to. And I don't know if you've ever been, like, really, really dehydrated, but when, like, you get near certain foods, it makes you really nauseous. Mm -hmm. That's what was happening. So I'm having to try to fight nausea and fatigue and try this dish and then think, how do I replicate this dish? So they call time. They give us the basket of ingredients. We get, like, 45 minutes. They say, go. And I'm just stumbling through my cook. Man, listen. I get to the last two minutes, and I am just struggling. Like, my hands are just shaking, shaking, shaking. They call time. I look down at my dish and I go, damn, that looks good. <laughs> and I, I kid you not, bro, they had to bring in a bar stool between the, the judging because they take about five minutes to judge per person. And there's like seven or eight of us in the challenge. So I have to sit down and drink Pedialyte water in between the judging periods until it's my time. And I get up there. And they're like, how do you think you did? I said, I think I did okay. And Christina Tosi was like, okay, how do you think your pork chop's cooked? I said, well, I'm from Oklahoma. I should know how to grill a pork chop. If not, then I shouldn't be able to go home. And so she cuts into it. She peeps at it and then looks at me and then peeps at it and then looks at me. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm going home. And then she shows it to me and goes, it's perfect. And I'm just like, yes. Yes, sir. Yeah, super stoked. And she tries the 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 cactus or the um, prickly pear sauce, and she's like, okay, this is a little thick. She's like, all you needed to do was kind of add a little bit more uh, liquid to it, thin it out, would have been perfect. I'm like, wow, that's surprising. And then she says, let's try the the cactus paddle. And I had a funny story. I ended up having a, a little uh, needle from the cactus paddle stuck in my finger for most of the competition. Like it was stuck in my thumb almost until the time I got eliminated don't know how I dealt with that it was really irritating but still it never messed with cactus and they were like no this is really good it's cooked well it tastes good it's not slimy like super super stoked and um, after I didn't go home the same guy that said hey if you need to you need to drop it you know it's okay he comes to the green room because I'm like hey I, I would prefer to go lay down and do interviews later he's like oh yeah we'll take you back to the hotel but he comes to me and he's like boy I knew you had it I knew you had that <laughs> I wasn't even mad at you, man. When I saw that pork chop, I said, yeah, boy. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So explain the difference, like, the difference you feel between doing a regular challenge and an elimination challenge. So your regular challenges are more about your creativity. So you're like, okay, I want to impress. I want to get the advantage. I want to make top three. I want to be looked at as the upper echelon of the competition in the judge's eyes and then hopefully later on in the eyes of the viewers that are going to be watching the episodes. So you're just willing to impress. You're trying to show up and show out when you're in elimination. You're just trying to stay in the competition. So your nerves are on two different levels. Would you say you're more, you're riskier in the regular challenge compared to the elimination challenge with the elimination challenge? Would you say you do more 
of things that you know know is going to work compared to when you're in a regular challenge where you like I don't know this might not work it might work um I challenge safe to say yeah I challenge my creativity on both but I definitely played it a little more safe with eliminations because a lot of the time elimination was technique based or or replication or whatever so I would customize the flavors but I kept the techniques and stuff the same so when it came to the mystery boxes or the the before challenges that weren't elimination challenges, yeah, I just got creative and I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to try this out, see if they like this, see if they like that, and just ran with it. So you make it all the way to the top seven. And very impressed. You're the youngest dude on there. Um, or the, Obviously, when you started, you were the second youngest person. So by this time, you're definitely in there with a lot of people who's like 30, 40, some people 50, just like people that's in there that's older than you. Just how did that, once the, because the girl got eliminated pretty early, how did that make you feel being the youngest during that entire time? Uh, Like I was a target. Uh, Definitely felt like a target because people, there's two ways you play competition shows like that or things in a competition. You either, you're going to play to fight the strongest or you're going to pick the weakest off one by one until you're the victor. And so there were a few people that viewed me as a weaker person. And then there was a few people that viewed me as a stronger person. So either way, on either side of the coin, I was a target in one way or the other. So funny enough, one of my really good friends that I made from the show that I cook with all the times, Cowboy Newton down in Texas, um, they said, okay, pick the seven weakest and the seven strongest. He put me in the category of the seven strongest and then made me cook against six other strong people. And uh, I didn't do too well in that one. You know, I served a damn near raw steak. And so once we get off stage and stuff, he goes, damn, buddy, I thought you had it. I'm like, you knew damn well I didn't have that one. Uh, he's just that one that one in particular, all right? But, he, I mean, he had a lot of confidence in you, and I see, like, you guys have uh, continued your relationships um, after the show. But something that I know and everybody that has watched the season know, um, something really special happened on your elimination night, man, something that, that – would you say, safe to say, it has changed your life? Yeah, that set me on a completely different trajectory than what I had ex- I thought I was going to be on at that point in time, and it, it made my life pivot from where I thought it was going to go. I assumed that I was going into restaurants as a dishwasher, head down until I had the privilege to cook and then earn my way up to a certain level. But on my elimination, uh, Gordon Ramsay offered to send me to culinary school, and then I had a job offer from Aron Sanchez, at the very restaurant that he has best taco running for several years in a row in New Orleans. So it was crazy that it came full circle because that was one of the big things I wanted to do with the prize money was send myself to culinary school. And so they were like, okay, cool, we'll send you. And then I was like, well, you know, I want to get a job in a great restaurant and keep my head down and learn. And they're like, okay, well, here's the offer. And so they literally gave me what I came there for and experience and exposure and kindness. And, I mean, it just – literally has completely changed where I thought my life would be. So talk about going to culinary school. How was that experience? Um, and how long were you there? I, know, I don't know with that type of school. It's probably not your typical four-year type no, thing. It's, uh, it's, it's a two-year, um, and it was definitely challenging at points, and some of it was second nature. So when I'm cooking, it's second nature. Learning the technique, cool, get that down, it's easy. The difficult part was when they said, hey, your challenge for this class, because it was 10 day per class. So you met, you only had two days you could miss. You miss any more than that, you drop the class. 
and they said we're going to give you a project every single class that you have to complete along with your daily assignments and your homework so it's a very packed curriculum and they had a couple that had to do with food costing recipe costing menu development planning so you have to understand the business side as so it's well giving as you literally all the elements exactly so one of my toughest things to, to kind of grasp was understanding how to have a cost per plate so they would say okay if you got a roast chicken carrots and mashed potatoes classic dinner right you need to get what your portion cost is for the potato your portion cost for the carrots your portion cost for the chicken and then your overall plate cost including your labor and percentage variables for things like uh, dinner rolls or whatever that are going to be gratis once the person sits at the table so that was the stuff that challenged me the most and that's what was really difficult for me to grasp because I've always been business minded, but I've never been that business oriented. That fine details. Exactly. So you got to learn not only not only improve your skills and but you got to learn the business side of it, which is in the long run it helped because now you're also you sell plates every every is it safe to say every weekend? Yeah, it's, it's pretty much every weekend. Uh, that was my, my COVID pivot. So before COVID, BC, <laughs> I, was, um, I was doing private chef uh, experiences where I would go into people's residences, Airbnbs, uh, log cabins, whatever it is, and I would create a exclusive three- to five-course meal for them, completely plated, served, presented, everything. I design each menu separately according to my client's taste and whatever. Obviously, with COVID, that kind of cut the, hey, you're going into people's houses or being around people you don't know because you're risking your health at that point. So then I pivoted to start selling plates, and somehow now I'm doing both. Yeah, so I see that you brought the, the fine dining back. Um, so how long do you, do you plan on doing this for a while? Because you still have that offer. So yeah. How how are you going to do that? Are you waiting? I know people are getting vaccinated so we're starting to open back up a little bit so what should we expect from you so for me i am doing the private dining experiences because not only do i i'm allowed to kind of be creative and give people something that is really vastly unique without them having to go and sit down in a restaurant and be treated like any other customer um so i intend to continue to do those because i get to stretch my creativity and then it provide unforgettable experiences for whoever hires me but on top of that, I've also been pivoting into social media um, and doing food media. So I create how-to videos to teach people how to cook things that seem daunting or difficult but can be broken down in easy, simple recipes delivered in videos that are, you know, a minute to 30 seconds via TikTok, Instagram, or whatever. And then I'm going to roll that into full-scale 10-minute cooking videos accompanied with uh, a cookbook that I'm currently working on. Uh, so you got a lot of big plans going on. So yeah. when do you expect to get to New Orleans then? Um, New Orleans is on the horizon, um, but a lot of that has to do with the logistics of the job. So for me, um, I would need to be able to save up, stack up, and go down there so that I can not have to work to live, but you know, work to learn. So for me, I want to be able to go down and not have to worry about money. So that's my main thing right now is, is getting my bag, getting everything done, getting a, a, a heavy understanding of the inner and outer workings of the restaurant as in regards to what's going out the back door. So like catering, things like that. That's why I kind of started doing that on my own so I could have that education in the meantime. 
So once my money is stacked up, once I have everything set and my uh, media presence is well established so I can not only uplift them but myself as well in the meantime, uh, I'm going to be kind of sticking in OKC, staying a little bit closer to home. Um, and then once all those goals are hit, I'll be on my way. What does success look like to you? Success to me, um, it changes. It's a constantly changing definition. So at one point in time, it was getting on TV. So when I'm in, you know, I'm 14, 15 years old, it was just getting in front of a camera, getting on TV, being that TV chef or whatever. It transitioned from that to understanding my craft the best way that I can, teaching it to other people and being able to do what I want in life and be happy. So to me, success is happiness. I think they're one and the same. Um, I'm sorry. I had to take a little break there for a second. Um, now, how important is the passion to you? It's everything. Like, I don't I do not do anything that doesn't feed my soul. So uh, I tried out different things. Uh, I, honestly, I, if I didn't do food, I thought I was going to go into sales of some sort, car sales. Um, if not, I thought about going and becoming a psychologist because I love how the mind works. But none of those speak to my passion. My passion is creating, and creation comes in the form of food for me. So uh, the passion is everything, because I can literally walk in, I can put earphones in, and if I have all of my finished ingredients, I'll paint a cutting board or a plate like a canvas. And that's, that's the moments I'm the most present, that's the moments that I'm the most alive, that's the moment that I most appreciate life, is when I'm able to be in the present moment developing something that can be looked at as a piece of art and then destroyed, devoured, and digested after 20 minutes. For a, It's an exchange of the, the art for the memories. I would say, so, yes, I'm good. Me, personally, I had a couple of good memories. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one thing I want to ask before we get out of here, man, what is one thing you will ask or not only – tell somebody else or your younger self but what is something that you would say to someone that's trying to pursue something in the food industry on a on that type of level on such a high level what would you say to them i would probably tell them uh study the people you admire learn their story understand where they came from understand their trials and tribulations and continuously question if this is the path for you, make sure you're always questioning yourself, actively asking yourself, because if ever that answer changes, then you need to know when to pivot. But if it doesn't change, then you need to understand where and when to work the hardest. So I idolized Gordon Ramsay. That was my chef idol. It still is. And so I looked at his upbringing. I know he had a difficult upbringing. I know that he struggled a lot and I know that he put everything into his craft. And so that's what I started doing at a young age was putting everything into my craft. It was my it was my breath it was my drink it was my food it was my substance so I ingested any media that I could that showcased uh, a recipe or a technique that I was unfamiliar with I challenged myself by getting one ingredient and seeing how far I could take it so if I took a carrot I'd make it into a soup a sauce a puree a stock a juice a powder whatever I could do to understand the ins and outs of that ingredient so what I generally tell people that are interested in cooking, that want to explore and become a well-versed chef, is start with something humble like a chicken. And take that chicken, learn how to break it down into eight parts. After that, learn what you can do with the bones. Learn what you can do with the wings, the legs, the thighs, the breasts. Like learn how to be versatile. Learn how to be transformative. Learn how to be present 
enough to pivot and grow and change these these ingredients from what nature has given us to what you can present as the bounty of nature's fruits. So that's that might be a little bit more of a explorative answer, but that's kind of my thing is just challenge yourself, be versatile and be receptive. Well, Gabe, number one, that was a great answer. I appreciate every single drop of it. But I'd like to say thank you again for taking the time out your day to be on this episode. I think you dropped a lot of gems in there, man. I feel like you can inspire a lot of people. But if you can drop all your social handles where you want to be followed, Instagram, TikTok, uh, for the people, that would be greatly appreciated. Oh, yeah, man. It's been a pleasure. Uh, If you want to follow me, it's the underscore Gabriel Lewis on all platforms. Uh, TikTok and Instagram, where I'm most active, you get uh, weekly recipes, videos, uh, live streams, photos, Q&As, all that. Um, And I also actively ask my audience for what they want. So not only do you get the things you're unfamiliar with, you'll get the things that you want to learn with a twist. So that's uh, that's me. And thank you, Gabe, again for joining me for this episode. Another fire one. Like I told you guys, man, the dude is insane. He's incredible, very talented individual. But be on the lookout for episode seven because I got another talented, diligent, hardworking young man. Some people may know him, Nate the Great, Penn Darvis of the Great Runs. If you know anything about basketball and you want to hear something about basketball, episode seven is definitely the episode for you. But Hey, you guys have a good one, and I'll catch you the next time. Peace.